Today with Catherine Ruinala. Hallelujah. Well, I was so encouraged by that testimony. Praise the Lord. So excited. We want to just uh, take a moment and pray for our prayer requests. I have people writing to me all the time asking for prayer. And I tell you, prayer works. Prayer works. I was so blessed by that song about the dry bones. Live, we're prophesying. I was prophesying over those prayer requests tonight uh, as we were singing, dry bones, live. And uh, so can we just reach out our faith together and pray for all of those that have written in prayer requests. We want to pray for them. We want to come into agreement. Father, in your mighty and holy name, no weapon formed against them shall prosper. In your name, Father, we come and we ask for their healing, their deliverance, their salvation, their financial breakthroughs, Lord, their relationships to be healed. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for wholeness, healing, deliverance. In the name of Jesus Christ, we say, be healed, be free. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. I've recently been preaching about the power of prayer and that prayer works. Prayer works. And so often uh, we hear people say, oh, well, all we can do now is pray, as though it's the last resort. When in fact, it is the most wonderful thing we can do because he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Hallelujah. What an astonishing privilege and a promise. And what a power we have as those that have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be able to pray. Well, uh, as I've been enjoying uh, this series about prayer, I had a bit of a difficult day the other day, and I was just let, found myself getting discouraged. There was somebody I was particularly praying for. I'd been praying for for so long for salvation, and uh, you know I had an interaction with them, and that just made me realize, oh, they're so not there yet, God, oh God, oh God. And at the end of the day, my shoulders were a little slumped over. Because I was thinking about it, <gasps> on top of everything else, <gasps> God, when, oh God. And um, Emily, my daughter, saw me and she said, what's wrong? And I told her, <laughs> and she said, haven't you been preaching about prayer works lately? <laughs> she said, pray, you know. I said, I have prayed, I've been praying a long time, she says. You know better than that. <laughs> I went, yes, I do. You know, you know that prayer works. You know that God's at work. And I was so grateful. I was so grateful for children who will preach my sermons back to me. Hallelujah. Do everything without <laughs> complaining or arguing. And I've been on a, a little personal journey myself over these last little over this last little while of my I've had such a hunger to discover more about our Jesus. I, I watched uh, the the Passion the movie again. I watched it many times, and I've been watching the, the Chosen series uh, again. <laughs> uh, I have a, a limited number of things that I I like to watch, but. And I've been studying in the scripture because I'm so struck 
at the moment with the life of Jesus. I mean, everything about him is so wonderful. But I've been watching particularly and thinking and reading about how he never sinned, not once, in any way. He never sinned. Not once did he sin with his words. Never once did he say something he had to apologize for. Never once did he make a sarcastic comment or a joke about somebody that was always giving them a hard time. He never once sinned with his words. I think it's amazing. It's not a story. It's a real truth. And he demonstrates for us the power to actually live like him. And so I've been on this pursuit to discover him. And just studying the life of Jesus has just been such a delight. I often read the, the Gospels with a particular um, desire to see something. Sometimes I'll read through the Gospels with a desire to really study the miracles of Jesus, or sometimes I'll read through the, the Gospels with a desire to study the prayer life of Jesus, or, um, or, or different aspects. But at the moment, I'm studying uh, just the interactions Jesus had with people, and the wisdom that he had relationally. It's made me cry out, Lord, give me wisdom. He always said the right thing in such a way that would cause their hearts to open up. He always had the right word for the right person at the right time. And that means that is available for us. That sort of wisdom is available for us. The spirit of wisdom himself offers to teach us and to lead us and to fill our mouths every day with that sort of wisdom. Anyway, for me, that's an exciting thought because I could really use some more of that in my life. Hallelujah. But as I've also been studying um, the life of Jesus, the more I discover about him, the more I'm provoked to want to worship him spontaneously because he's so good. He's so good. Remember the line from the the Chosen series, at, uh, and someone asked Mary, the mother of Jesus, how's Jesus? And she says, oh, he's good. He's always good. I thought, yep, <laughs> that's so true. But uh, as I've been looking at the life of Jesus, we get, we get a lot of wonderful information in the Bible about Jesus' life, a lot of description, uh, though the Bible could never, and no book could ever detail all the goodness of Jesus, all the miracles, all the, the words that he spoke, all the things that he suffered, no one could fully know. And, um, but we get a lot of information, a lot of description about particularly the events leading up to his crucifixion. There's great detail about the whole week uh, from Palm Sunday through to the Passover. Uh, we, we get a lot of different accounts, a lot of detail. So we can know quite a lot about the events leading up to the torture and murder of Jesus Christ on that horrible cross uh, where he voluntarily, willingly suffered so that you and I could be united with him. We could be redeemed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And then there's a great deal of information and specific detail about the resurrection of Jesus. We see it. We, know, we see, hear about the, the stone being rolled away, about the angels and what they said, about the, the people who saw him first and the disciples and the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and the appearances of Jesus. And we get lots and lots of information throughout the four different gospels about the resurrection of Jesus. As I was having my little sorry for me moment, my little sad moment, I thought about, you know, there's not a lot of information about what happened between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I went to try and study it, and there's really only very few verses that give us a glimpse into what went on. Let me just, have you ever wondered about that? 55, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So what we know about the Saturday, the day in between Jesus' burial and resurrection, as far as the disciples were were concerned, they were on Shabbat. They were resting. And I imagine they were probably pretty anxious. They were probably fearful. They were probably discouraged. They were probably terribly disheartened. They were probably terribly traumatized, having seen the one they love so unjustly tortured and murdered and the confusion and the despair and the discouragement. And it must have been a really difficult time. But during that time, when they couldn't see what was going on and they didn't understand and they were discouraged and disappointed and, and in, in a world of pain, Jesus was working. Something was happening. We get a little glimpse it tells us in um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So we know that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. First Peter chapter 4 gives us another little glimpse. It says, um, verse 6, interesting little verse. It says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to, the men of in the, uh, according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So, how do you preach to the dead? Well, Jesus, having died... He was busy. He was working. And it's fascinating because we read about the results of this work that he was doing in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52. It says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Yeah. Okay. 
that's, that's interesting. Not quite sure how that works. Actually don't know what happened to them afterwards. Did they like continue to live and then die again and then get buried again? Or did they disappear when Jesus, I don't know. I don't know. Fascinating though. So who were these people that he was preaching to when he was in the tomb, when he had died? Well, we read another very unusual story in Luke chapter 16 about a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. Verse 20, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who laid at his gate, not to be confused with the other Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, um, desiring to be fed and the crumbs which fell with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the, his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus received evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. Besides all this, between you and us, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, for if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to them, he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one who rises from the dead. And I think from my limited understanding of, from the limited information that we have, that prior to Jesus' resurrection, there was a place called Abraham's bosom and there was Hades and there was a big separation. And my assumption is that Jesus, when he died, went to Abraham's bosom and preached to all those who died in faith, awaiting the Messiah and told them, hey, it's done, let's go. Come with me, let's go. We're going to go up into uh, heaven with the Father. And uh, on his way, I think some of them also popped out of the grave while Jesus was having his time walking around on the earth before he ascended, and they did too. So who knows what was going on there? Would have been very interesting. But in all of this, I look at it, and we know so little about what actually went on, but we do know that he took the keys of death and hell. Hallelujah. He conquered death. Hallelujah. And that he made a way for all who would put their faith in him to never have to be uh, separated from him ever again. Hallelujah. You see, prior to Jesus' death, even those who died in faith weren't able to be 
close to the Father because light can have no fellowship with darkness and nobody had the power to get rid of their darkness. But Jesus and those who had have faith in him, he comes and he takes away all our darkness. He takes away all our sin. He takes away all our transgression, all our iniquity. Hallelujah. But as I was thinking about this, and you might think, oh, this is a very random thing to be talking about. All this that is so mysterious about what went on between the death and the resurrection reminds me of on those days when I can't see or understand what's going on or when I'm having a difficult time where I'm just feeling like, oh God, I don't understand. I can have confidence that Jesus is working, that Jesus is moving even when I can't see it. I remember going to pray for James Graham when he was diagnosed with um, end-stage cancer. It was stage 5B. Uh, He'd had the operation to remove the bowel tumor in his bowel, but the bowel wasn't working again. Just nine days later, it still wasn't working. He had secondary tumors in the lungs, cancer in the lymph nodes. And the doctors just said, look, you better call someone because we don't think he's got very long to live. And so I cancelled an appointment, went up to the hospital, looked at him and said, James, you look terrible. Let's take a photo. This is going to preach really well. But he was so sick, we, could, we couldn't even stay very long. But we did take a photo and we did celebrate and we did worship and we did thank God We praised God for his healing. We thanked God because he was in faith for healing. And we believed, thank you, Jesus, for his healing. And we left. But we didn't see any change when we prayed. But we celebrated. Thank you, God. You've heard us. Whatever we ask in your name, you're going to do. The next night, while his wife Rochelle's at home, while I'm at home, and we're all hoping and believing and praying for his healing. James had an encounter with God. For seven hours, the Lord just was speaking to him and he woke up at 7 a.m. completely healed, utterly healed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We don't understand sometimes why it's taken so long, what's going on. But I'm telling you, If you will hope in Jesus Christ, you can have confidence that Jesus is working even when you can't see it. I remember the same thing when little Gabriella, Nathaniel and Haley's firstborn, uh, they were our next door neighbours and I got the call when um, Haley had had the baby early in the morning and I was so excited. I was going to go and see them later that night. I had a conference that day and I jumped in the car and I went off to go and preach at, our first, um, at my first charismatic Catholic event. And women had come from all over the state for this event. And as I was driving, it was about an hour and a half away, um, I got a phone call from the hospital saying, uh, Nathaniel and Haley have asked if you could come Something's happened. The baby's had a heart attack. We don't think she's going to survive. Could you come? And so we were nearly at the event. So I I arrived and the 
priest and a whole bunch of people were there to meet me. And I said, hi, I can't stay. I have to go to the hospital. I'd be grateful if you could all pray. I have to go and pray for a baby. And they were so good about it. Praise the Lord. But so I just went to the hospital straight away. I, I got there and the nurses were waiting at the, at the door for me. And they said, are, are, you, the, are you the pastor? Yes. Oh. We don't think they understand. They just don't seem to understand. You, you need to help them understand. And I looked at them and I thought, you've got the wrong person here. <laughs> we walked in and the baby's all hooked up to machines, gray, just really um, not looking good. And I said, let's take a picture. This is going to preach really well. So Nathaniel started recording and, and I said, and get Haley expressing milk because this baby's going to feed and... Um, and we prayed, and we worshipped, and we celebrated, and we thanked God. And then they medevaced her to the um, uh, children's hospital here in Brisbane. And she was born in Redlands, and so they medevaced her there. And then the next day, Emily and I went into the hospital. We prayed. We saw the oxygen levels go up just a little bit, but we didn't see significant uh, change, but we kept praying, kept believing. God, we know it's your will that she would live and not die, that she would prosper and be in health, even as her soul prospers. It's your will, Lord God. You came to bring life and life more abundant. We thank you for your healing. And we'd pray. Only She was in intensive care, so we could only two at a time could go in. And I remember Nathaniel pulling me aside and saying, look, I haven't told Haley, but the doctors just told me that they think baby's brain dead. And I'm not having it in the name of Jesus. And we agreed, no, in the name of Jesus, by his stripes, she's healed. And they basically, not brain dead, um, so badly brain damaged that even if she did survive, that she would be a vegetable, is what they were saying. And so we agreed, no, she can be fine. In the name of Jesus, she can be healed. We were all praying as a church. You know, that must have felt a little bit like that Saturday for them. But when we couldn't see it, Jesus was working. The next day, Haley and Nathaniel were sitting by the bed. And she was still expressing in faith, preparing for this baby. And um, they were reading scripture to Gabriella. And all of a sudden, while Nathaniel's filming, <laughs> Gabriella opens her eyes and is instantly well, instantly well, feeding, laughing, crying, not laughing, she was only like three days old, feeding, happy, not even a need for a feeding tube, no more oxygen, nothing, well. And you know, as I thought about those things, I thought about my little moment of discouragement. And I thought, thank you, Lord, for the truth. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Prayer works, God. Where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that even when we don't understand it, you are always at work. You are the one who is the resurrection and the life. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We just heard another testimony today um, of your mum. 
praying for her, praying for your mom. You prayed for her. The next day she called and said, I'm completely healed. Hallelujah. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. You know, I believe that as we look to this one who lived a perfect life, a sinless life, Jesus wants to look at you and to inject hope into your hearts today. My favorite verse in the Bible, I think, if I'm allowed to have a favorite verse, I love it all. But one of the ones that resonates so deeply with me is when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler. And, um, and he was not making the right choice. He, he was struggling with, oh, I don't know if I can choose him or choose everything I'm holding on to. And in the midst of it, instead of Jesus looking at him and shaking his head in disappointment, the Bible says he looked at him and loved him. He never, ever, never once. And you know, that one who looks at you and loves you wants to encourage you today. If you're in a situation where you haven't seen the fulfillment of what you've been praying for, the Father wants you to know, oh, He's working, that there is a resurrection, there is a hope and there is a glory beyond what you have expected if you will believe. The Bible says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all you can ask, hope, or imagine. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations.